Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us, for kids, for coming up, for those who were not up who helped support the uh, Christmas child. Thank you for that. Nancy, thank you. I told Nancy uh, as she was stepping down there, I could have listened to you for a lot longer. Um, so she has more to say, more stories to tell. Be sure to see her afterwards, and we may change our house to be up in a tree. We have enough around our place so we could think about that. Nancy, thanks for sharing that. Um, hey, welcome to Grace Point Church. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here. We're glad to have you here. Thanks for choosing to worship with us this morning, or if you're listening online later, thank you for listening online wherever you are. Um, we are in the fifth part of a seven-part series called Blind Spots, and under that uh, word up there in the screen, you'll see the language, um, seven dangerous assumptions behind our daily decisions. And here's what we believe at Grace Point, that every um, day matters because your lifetime is made up of days. And so how you spend today will impact how you spend your lifetime. And what's even more important is that the, the assumptions behind the decisions that you make today are going to affect your entire lifetime. So it's a good idea to figure out and stop and pause and think about what is underneath my decisions today. What are the assumptions that I have about how I see my life, how I see money, how I see time, how I see my influence, etc., etc., because there's assumptions that we have. We also said that we realize that most of us don't think we have blind spots or assumptions. We just think we're right. Like we don't think we view people in a certain way, we just view them the right way. We don't think we view money in a certain way, it's just the right way. And I think we've already covered in the course of the first four weeks that there are certain things that we um, will skip over in our mind without really stopping to think about it. I've given you enough brain teasers and riddles and puzzles and all that along the way for you to know that yes, okay, there are some things that I will think I'm at point A and I want to get to point B, and if there's confusing information between point A and point B, I'll just skip over it and get to point B, and I think I'm right, and then all of a sudden somebody says, man, but you got the wrong answer. How did I get the wrong answer? I thought, I, oh, I missed that. Like, I just missed that piece of information because I assumed. So, in our series so far, we've talked about four assumptions that we have. The first one is about the day of death compared to the day of life, and we've, we've basically come up with the assumption that there will be time later to do the things that I should do now. We looked at the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon lays it out and he says, listen guys, the day of death is better than the day of life. It's a really strange verse. The day of death is better than the day of, of birth. Excuse me. Meaning that if I want to think forward in my life, I need to think backwards. I need to think about what does my legacy want to be? What should that be? And then live my life backwards in relation to that. The day of death is better than the day of birth. And then we looked, secondly, at the whole idea of, um, of money and how I use my resources. This blind spot thinking that if only I had just a wee bit more, like there's a threshold, if only I had just a little bit more, I'd be satisfied. We talked about the reality that whoever loves money never has what? Money enough. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And in Proverbs, we read there that don't wear yourself out to get rich. It's a waste of your life to wear yourself out, to get rich. Just a waste of life. So the, the blind spot is just a little bit more, and, and I'll be satisfied. Then we talked about time, and the whole issue of time is this idea that um, small deposits of time over time make all the difference. We looked in the book of Ephesians there about um, making the most of your time or redeeming the time, kind of buying back the time for good things, that if we want to make a difference, we'll make small deposits of time over time in important relationships, in important opportunities. We'll do that. Last week, we looked at the issue of influence. How do I use the influence that God has given me to use? And um, in, that, in that section, we were, we were covering this, this whole thing that, you know, influence is something that mm, maybe somebody else is better equipped to do this than I am. We looked in 1 Timothy chapter 4 about Paul writing to a young Timothy saying, Timothy, I know you're young. 
I know that there's people around you who don't respect you yet. There's people who are going to think that they're smarter than you, that they know more than you, but Timothy, command and teach these things. And by the way, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. That the idea being that even stepping into just a little bit of influence can change the world in which we live. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are whatever, old, young, middle class, poverty, rich, poor, in between, whatever. Don't let anyone look down on you, but set an example for the believers to be present and to be making progress. So this week, we're on to the fifth blind spot. This one is a little bit different, um, but I think it's, it's very applicable. And today I want to have the conversation with you about growth, okay, growth. Now this is kind of funny. It seems kind of an innocuous statement. I want to talk to you about growth, but here's the thing. Everybody wants to grow, right? Everybody does grow, but not everybody grows on purpose. Everybody wants to grow in relationship with one another. Some of you are dating people and you hope that our relationship grows. Maybe someday, maybe we'll get married. And others of you are kind of growing from, from elementary to middle school to high school and you can't wait to grow to be a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. Some of you are hoping to grow your business. Some of you are hoping to grow your marriage. Some of you are hoping to grow uh, with your employees and all that. But the whole issue of growth. And I want to talk about two things related to growth and I want to illustrate it this way. Excuse me. I want to illustrate um, two concepts of growth. They're kind of um, parallel, but kind of juxtaposed or contrast to one another. And I want to use this. This thing, you can see it here if you're listening online later. I'm, hang- I'm holding up a skateboard, okay? Um, how many of you guys skateboarded in your past life? Come on now. Come on now. All right. We've got 17 people in here who skateboarded. Good. Online, everyone is raising their hands, by the way. Here's the thing. When I, when I was um, a kid, I skateboarded a lot. This was my deal. This wasn't my board, but this is actually my son's skateboard. Uh, you can tell he's used it, right? He's used this thing pretty good. And here's the thing. Skateboarding is very interesting because it represents for us, in my um, conversation about growth, it represents um, everything about boys that is risky, <laughs> right? Every mom who... Um, ever sees their son grow up to get on a skateboard, automatically thinks, I cannot wait for him to crash and wreck that thing, and I'm not even going to try to protect him. I'm not even going to worry about that. In fact, I'm going to build a big ramp for him. Hopefully he can even figure out how to get on the roof and get off the roof of the house. I mean, I, no, right? I mean, every mom is like, hey, get the helmet. We got to get him knee pads. We got to get him, you know, uh, elbow pads. And yeah, I don't, just skateboard on the grass. Like, you don't want to get out there on the road and do that. I mean, you can't do that because this represents everything there is to, to represent about boys and risk. Boys and risk. And boys don't even think about risk. I think you know that. Like, risk? What is that? Like, let me try it. And then why didn't that work? I don't know. It was a bad idea to skateboard off the roof. No one, I just didn't think about that, right? So, so risk is not even in the picture. And they don't mind, like they would not mind if I were to put this thing up here right now. And I, and I know this is a little dangerous, but they would not mind at all. Like taking this baby and just afterwards, if I leave this thing unattended, I guarantee you there will be boys who will come up here and who will jump on this thing. Like this would be cool. Look at that. There's steps and you know, up and over and off the steps and down. And I was actually going to do that, but I think I'd kill myself. But here's the thing, everything about growing, growing up, uh, this represents one part of growing up, and that is risk. And here's what we know, that you can't really grow without risk, right? You can't really grow without risk. But the problem with risk is it's very risky, right? So here's what, what moms would prefer, and dads don't really care because dads have already skateboarded, right? And they already know that 
This is the only way to learn is to fall down. You're going to hit that little stone that you didn't see on the driveway as you were flying down the driveway, and you're going to skin your whole body up, and you're going to be out of commission for two weeks, but you'll figure it out, okay? Moms are like, no way. Why don't you come in and play ping pong? <laughs> right? So on the one hand, this represents all there is to represent about risk. On the other hand, mom's like, listen, listen, just come in. Like no one in the history of humanity has ever gotten hurt playing ping pong. Like just, just come in. That's not true, right? You're looking around like, no, my friend got hurt because he was being an idiot because he was risking on a skateboard while ping pong, right? No. Okay, by and large, most normal people do not, do not, do not get hurt playing ping pong. And so ping pong represents all it is to represent about being safe and keeping everything together, keeping my world under control because, man, I, you just don't get hurt. You can have fun, but you just don't get hurt playing ping pong compared to skateboarding. And so this represents all there is to represent about peace and safety and under control living where mm, not a lot can go wrong when I'm kind of mm, in a little ping pong environment. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> right? I mean, what, what bad can happen there? And so we have uh, kind of the twin elements of both, both this desire for safety and also kind of this interest, if you will, in, in risk and kind of pushing out the limits of, of who we are and just trying stuff for the fun of it. And moms are like, yeah, but listen, if you, if you don't live, you can't risk, so let's be a little on the safe side. Let's have you survive this thing. And so we look at this reality, and the question becomes, okay, the question becomes, particularly for us, now, as we take this concept of how do we grow and the issue of risk and safety, and we take it into our faith, and we take it into this question of how do we grow in our faith, in our walk with God or whoever we think God might be. This morning, I want to speak specifically to people who are listening later or who are here this morning and are saying, I am a person who's saying that I want to follow Jesus with my life. Now, if you are not in that category, listen Enjoy, poke fun, whatever you want to do. But I'm speaking this morning to people who are saying, listen, this is what I want to do. I want to be someone who grows in my walk with my Savior, Jesus Christ. That I believe there is a God of the Bible who's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. He came and he died for my sins. I placed my faith and trust in him. And I want to, I want to grow. And the question is, what does it look like to do that? And what are the assumptions underneath that? And here's some things that we tend to say. Again, if you are not in the church culture, if you don't ever say these, and you're not like, wow, people say these things, it's funny. Here's what some church people say, and, and we can say, when it comes to opportunities for us to grow, and, and tell me if you've ever heard this phrase before. I've got to pray about that. Ever hear that? I've got I to gotta pray about that. Okay, in other words, an opportunity comes up for you to do something, and you think, Man, that sounds like a, a skateboard opportunity. Like, that just, that opportunity sounds risky. Like, I can't lead a small group. I don't know how to lead. And I, I can't teach that because I don't know how to teach. I can't go on that trip because that's too much. So I've got to, in other words, instead of saying, I'm afraid of it. Let me, I don't know. We don't say that. I've got I to pray about that. I've got to and I'm thinking, what is there to pray about? Do you want God to bring glory and honor through your life or not? I mean, honestly, quite honestly, almost all the time, I'm like, listen, is there really something you've got to pray about? I've got to pray about that. Okay, we say that sometimes. I've got to pray about that. When presented with the opportunity to do something that makes you feel like you are careening down the driveway at 100 miles an hour on a skateboard and you're afraid to hit a stone, you're like, man, you want me to get on that thing? I've got to pray about that before I get on a board like that. And you want me to do what? Like... I've got to pray.
pray about that. In other words, I'm just flat out afraid, and I'm afraid of risk when it comes to growth. I'd rather, man, you got, you got some ping pong game? I'd, I'd like to do that. Like, let me just do something that doesn't require the risk. Something else we say, man, God hasn't called me to that. I mean, I'm glad that God called Nancy to do the thing that Nancy did, but God hasn't called me to that. I mean, I didn't ask him or anything, but he didn't call me to that. God hasn't called me to that. A little bit too risky. God hasn't opened that door yet. God hasn't opened that door. Are you even awake? Have we even knocked at any of the doors? Have we actually proceeded down the line? We will use phrases like this to cover our fear of getting on the skateboard and trying something risky because we're afraid. Because we're afraid. And instead of calling it what it is, we'll use this terminology. We will. So we look at the blind spot, and here's what I believe the blind spot is for us as we think about how do we grow in our faith with God. And here's what I think our assumption is about God. That God prioritizes safety. I think this is our blind spot. That God prioritizes safety. I might prioritize safety, and I do tell my son, hey, when you're on the board, get the helmet. Go have a good time, but there's an element of safety to that. It's fair. But here's the blind spot, that God prioritizes safety. Most of us have been drawn to faith because there is a stability to it, isn't there? You, you have had an experience with God, and it has brought you stability in your dating relationships. It's brought you stability in your health crisis that you're in. It's brought you stability in your marriage. It's brought you stability as how you face um, your, your peers at school and at work. In other words, it's given you an anchor point to kind of hold you to in the chaos of life. And it is very stable in that sense. It is a place... We can come and say, man, the whole world is chaos out there, but I am grateful that I can come and I can worship, I can sing and I can listen, and it provides me with some stability in my life. Great. Peace. That is true and good. It's provided that for me as well. Now, the question is, if I'm drawn to that, then how is it, therefore, that I continue to grow in my faith in my God? And here's what we know. As we look at scan the characters in the, in the scriptures in terms of how they have grown, there, there has been no one that I can really find that grows through primarily playing ping pong, who grows by playing it safe. You look at Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. You look at Joseph being taken off to Egypt, being sold, slavery, being sent to prison. You look at David and Saul pursuing him and David not Uh, killing him when he had opportunities David's entire lifetime. You look at all the judges. You look at Deborah, the the mighty judge who, in a patriarchal society, stood up as a woman. You look at Gideon and all that he had to face and and, uh, the Midianites and their power and his weakness and his fear and failure. You're like, man, they weren't playing ping pong. God said, I want you, I want you to get on this thing and go and they didn't say, well, let me just pray about that. Like, I don't think God's really calling me to that. I don't know about that. The disciples, all who died because of their faith. Paul, his incredible persecution, near-death experiences. None of them are playing ping pong with their faith, right? None of them are playing ping pong. And yet, there's something about us where we think, we think, and this is a blind spot, we think, 
that God prioritizes. God prioritizes safety for me and for my kids. He prioritizes balance. He prioritizes keeping it the same. God, God, God might call a few people to do risky things, but he doesn't call all of us. He doesn't call me. Not, not me. Not me. Because God prioritizes safety. And this morning I want to take you to a passage that flips this thing on its head and gets us to look at who we really are, I believe. And it's in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. That Bible in the pew near you, by the way, is our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we invite you to take that with you. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So the New Testament is one, uh, two-thirds of the way into your Bible, if you will. The New Testament begins Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, and then John. But Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14, and we've got to, I want to try to do as as good and quick a job as I can of getting you up to speed with the context and what's happening because it's very important to understand um, what is happening to get a feel for uh, the significance and weight of this uh, story that Jesus tells. Okay? So the, the context for this, we're going to jump right into Jesus um, trying to explain some of the end times to the people who are listening to him, to the disciples who are listening. And it's a, in a section of the Bible that we call the Olivet Discourse. It's on the Mount of Olives. The discourse is the, the discussion or the, the preaching or the teaching that he does. So on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is teaching, and this is about the future. This is about what will yet come. And he's speaking to disciples and saying, trying to explain what will happen between when he ascends, that is when he leaves the earth the first time, and when he comes back the second time, if you will. So he's now in chapter 25 trying to explain in a way what life will be like in that interim period and what the characteristics of the kingdom should be like. So he tells this story. It's a fictional story, but it's anchored to the culture of the time, and he says it this way in verse 14. Again, it, the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his what? Ability. And then he went on his journey. Let's pause it there. So this master calls three servants to him. This is a fictional story, but he plays it out. uh, We're going to play it out on purpose this way. He calls three servants to him. The first he gives five, the second two, and the third one on the basis of their ability. Okay, so he looks at it and he says, each of my servants has the capacity, I trust them, with part of my estate while I'm not here. And I'm going to give to this guy because he's a, I know him, he's worked well, he's a producer, he's a mass producer. I'm going to give him five. This guy does well, not as well as the five guy, but he's still a good producer. I'm going to give him too. This guy, he's my weakest guy, but you know what? I'm still going to give him something because I believe that every servant that I have should get something. So I'm going to give him one. And he, and he goes and he leaves. He doesn't give them any instruction. Doesn't give him any instruction. You just entrust it to him. Now, we need to understand what a talent is. A talent is the largest unit of measurement that you can possibly use to define money in Jesus' time. Uh, We often talk about people being billionaires now. That doesn't quite cover it, I don't think, because we don't really have a language for trillionaires yet. I don't know if we have anybody who's a trillionaire. The talent is this. 
It is um, equivalent to 6,000 denarii, which of course means nothing to us, except to learn this, that one denarii is what you would get paid if you were to do one day's worth of normal work. One day's work, one denarii. 6,000 days of work, one talent. Now to do the math for you, because some of you are trying to do the math, if you were to work five days a week, five days a week, with no vacations, it would take you over 23 years to earn a talent. Okay? Just process that for a minute. It would take you over 23 years of working with no vacations five days a week to get one talent. And so this is a lot of money for the one guy to have a half a lifetime worth of, of uh, work and labor you're just given. Whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of money. So you're thinking about that, and if, if you're given that, and you're the one talent guy, you think, wow, I don't want to lose this. <laughs> I don't want to, wow, what, what am I going to do? I don't want to blow this. Let's read what they do with it. Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And so also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, for some of you who know the story, I mean, we're already getting ready to beat up the one talent guy because he's a loser and put it in a hole, right? Okay? So he dug a hole and put it there. Now, I want you to understand this. This is so important for understanding what was happening and what Jesus is trying to communicate. At this time, there is no FDIC. At this time, banking is not regulated like it is today. At this time, there are no commercial rules over how you're going to handle the investments of money. And so the very normal and right thing to do would be to take your massive treasure and put it in a box and bury it in the ground. Why? Because it's the safest thing to do. In fact, it is what, if you were to go to temple at that time and you were the one servant, you had this 23 years worth of work, money given to you, and you were to say to the rabbi, hey, Rabbi, give me some direction. I need some spiritual direction. What should I do with the stuff that I've been given? The rabbi would say this. In fact, they did say this. This is a quote from one of the early rabbis about how to handle money. Money can only be kept safe by placing it in what? The earth. This is the abiding viewpoint at the time. The only way to keep this safe is to place it in the earth. It's the only way to do it. You are risking too much if you decide to do something else with that talent, that is a lot of money to be managing. You want to place it in the earth. Even if you were to give it to a banker, you need to know that bankers right now, in this time, are all autonomous. They're all individual. They're all independent. They're entrepreneurial uh, money changers and money lenders, and they may move from place to place, and who knows if you're going to get your money back. And here's what that slave knows about the master. The slave knows that the master is very demanding and very exacting, and the slave is afraid of the master. So let's play it out. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts 
with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. And master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In other words, come be a partner with me. Here we go. Verse 22, the man with two talents also came. Master, you entrusted me with two. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, how's it going? Good time away? How is Disney World? That's what my version says. He said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was what? So I was what? Afraid. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. The servant views this master as kind of the ancient Donald Trump. You harvest where you don't sow. Like, you take over people's property. You move in to places where you didn't deserve to be there. And I know that if I blow it with the things that I have, you gave me 23 years' worth of work in one sitting. And you are so exacting and so demanding, I'm afraid of what to do with the things that I've been given. So the best thing for me to do is to follow my rabbi's advice. The safest thing for me to do with my money is place it in the earth. I'm afraid. What would happen if I risk investing? If I risk producing? If I risk multiplying? If I risk anything? I'm afraid of that. And so, Master, welcome back. I want you to know you're going to be so proud. I did nothing with the money that you gave me. I've done, I've done nothing. But the good news is, you have what you gave me. <laughs> the master is like this. Verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. But that, even that, was too risky for the guy with the one talent. So verse 28, here's what happens. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know this is true because we do this in reality. This, the master gives that one talent and says, this servant is not producing. I'm going to move that and give that to people who do produce, and I'm going to let them produce. You ever been on committees? I have been on committees, the commissioning committee, where we sit around and try to figure out who should fill certain roles at the church. And sometimes we hear the conversation, well, who's not doing anything? Maybe they should do it. And I'm like, well, there is a reason they're not doing anything, because they're not doing anything. And we give a five-talent job to someone who's burying it in the ground. Why? Like, you know this too, right? In your business, in your work, in your family, you look at the people who are already doing things and you say, we need them to keep doing things. It's amazing the people who keep doing things keep finding ways to do the things that they need to do. It just happens that way. You're never really too busy. You're just prioritizing important things. And the people who don't do anything, it's like, well, I'm just too afraid and I have too much of a responsibility and I don't think I can because I want to play ping pong. You know, I want to play ping pong with my faith. That's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a risk to do that, to get on the skateboard. 
and do things that I don't think I'm equipped to do. And Jesus says, hey, we're going to take that one, and we're going to give it over here, because we're going to reproduce this thing. This kingdom is going to grow one way or the other. And let's have people who understand that I'm not primarily about safety. Who understand, I think, this principle, the so what. Who understand this, that spiritual growth is risky and completely unsafe. That spiritual growth is risky and completely unsafe. And so here's, here's the deal for us. Right? You're sitting on the verge right, in your relationships right now of the courage that you know you need to take to have the conversation with your husband your wife. To really open yourself up to them. Say, I, I see something in you. I see something in me. I'm struggling with this. I've seen you struggle with this for a long time, but I'm, a, I'm afraid to, to have the conversation because I'd rather play ping pong with my faith than get on the skateboard and say, you know what? Let's do it. See, discipleship or growth in the, the Christian world has more to do with getting on the skateboard that is jet-packed, <laughs> that has bottle rockets attached to the bottom and trying to hang on for dear life as you are flying down the road and you're like, I don't know. I don't know how to do the things that God wants me to do. I don't know as a husband how to lead my wife. I don't know how to pray with her. I don't know how to lead my kids and discipline them. I don't know how to be present when I'd rather do my hobby. I don't know as a wife how to support my husband when he comes in because I don't respect him. I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how to do that. And so I'd rather, you know, I'm just not going to do it and I'm going to play ping pong. I, I mean, I don't know how to get under the fears that I have to realize that, man, I, I know that I look in the mirror, I'm constantly insecure, and I'm just going to dress myself up and try to be beautiful and try to be strong because I don't know how to really deal with this stuff that I need to deal with in order to be the one who's making the kind of difference in the kingdom that I need to make because I'm just too afraid of myself. I'm too afraid of my husband, of my, my wife. I'm too afraid of what my boss will say, what my co-workers will say. So I'm, because of my fear, you want to want a game? First one to 21. You know, let's go. Boop, 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 boop. And we, we come to church, boop, and we sing a song, boop, boop, boop. And we hear a nice message, boop. And we go, and that is it. And we're done. And beep, beep, beep. We played some ping pong. We felt good about that. Maybe we won. Spiritual growth is completely, completely unsafe because you have to be willing to have yourself turn completely inside out for the kingdom of God. Jesus says elsewhere that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, life can't come from it. Unless we allow ourselves to fall to the ground and die, we cannot see the life of the kingdom come through us. In other words, every time, every time we are on the verge of making a decision, the verge of taking the opportunity to do what we know we should do, and we don't because of fear, the commendation of the master to the one servant is our condemnation to you wicked, lazy servant. You were afraid? Why? Because you didn't trust me. You didn't trust that getting on this is going to be the only way, the only way to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Some things about what happened at Grace Point that you may or may not know, and I want you to know something. 
a practical reality. We have a, a fund. Many of you don't know this. We have a, a missional fund, we call it, within our missions department. Uh, $3,000, the missions team designated, for, for people like you and me who are saying, and we're looking around in our life, and we're saying, you know what, I have a neighbor who needs money for a gas card. I have a neighbor who needs groceries. I have a neighbor, you know, I'd, I'd like to um, host a, a party in my home, but I don't have the funds to buy a gas card for my neighbor. I don't have the funds to buy a snowblower for my neighbor, but I know they need one because their back is really going out, and I know this winter is going to be whatever, and I need to get that. It would be great if I could. It would be great if I could help my neighbor by doing some landscaping in their place, but I, don't, I can't buy the trees or whatever. Here's what our missions team has said, that we do not want money to stand in the way of us doing the things we need to do in our communities, in our businesses, in our workplaces, in our schools. We do not want money to stand in the way. And so what we've said is we want to provide money. We have $3,000 in the budget. But we say, if there's an opportunity you have, as you look around your, your job, your school, your neighborhood, and you say, it would be awesome if I just had 100 bucks for that, if I just could provide them with a $25 gas card this week, if I could only go down to Wise and pick up a $50 uh, card from Wise and give it to my neighbor, the, not even saying it's from Grace Point Church, just from me to them, but I don't, have the, I don't have the money to do that. Here's what we've said. We want to free you up to do that stuff freely. And so what, what we've done today, the question is how do you access that? What we've done today is I've set out with Pastor Joel, our business cards are out on the Welcome Center right there on that little, little desk there. On your way out, you can just pick up one of those things and all you need to do is contact Joel or I and say, hey, I'd like to do this. Where do I go? How do I do it? We do not want money to be a problem. Fear, another issue. Money, we can take that off the table. Okay? Second thing, parents in particular. Um, talking with your kids. When we talk about the future for our children, um, how are we talking to them about what kind of impact they can have in the kingdom of God? Yes, we talk to our kids about balancing their budget and you know, working hard and, and making right decisions with their bodies related to purity. Those are all healthy and good things, very good conversations to have. But we also have parents, as parents, have an opportunity to influence our children to say, okay, now, great, get your career thing lined up, good, get your, your priorities lined up financially, good. Now, let me, let's talk about what kind of impact do you think you can and should make in the kingdom of God? God has wired you to be a musician, awesome. How can you leverage that for kingdom use? God has gifted you athletically. Awesome. How can you leverage that for kingdom use? <clears throat> Great. God has wired you to be an incredibly, um, incredible social butterfly, if you will. People are very comfortable around you. Now, how can we leverage that for kingdom use? Let's talk as parents with our kids. What can we do, guys? What can we do? Kids, what can we do? Because spiritual growth has nothing to do with playing ping pong. Everything to do with getting on the skateboard and risking moving forward. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading to you a passage, this passage from the message translation. This passage really hit me as I looked in the message. And here's what it says as we jump in toward the end of the message. The message uh, is a paraphrase, excuse me, of the, of the Bible, not a direct translation. And uh, Peterson, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote this, and he tried to kind of summarize some basic concepts in here. And here's what he wrote toward the end of Matthew 25. And he said, The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. And here it is, safe and sound down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with bankers, where at least... 
I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb. Spiritual growth is risky and completely, completely unsafe. And you might be saying, but I'm not a five-talent guy, I'm not a two-talent guy, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a one-talent. It doesn't matter. The, the two-talent person is not condemned for only producing two, right? The five is not, you're better than the two. No, 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 no. Jesus does not say the five is better than two and better than the one. No, they're all commended for taking whatever they have and using it. So you don't need to compare yourself to somebody else and say, I need to do that, I need to make sure I do that and that because other people are. No, no, no. This is not about comparison. Comparison is sinful in that regard. It sets up jealousy and bitterness and and regret and all that stuff. No, no, no. This is about taking what you have been given and everybody, even the one-talent person, has been given something to use, a way to leverage yourself for the kingdom work. You've been given opportunities in your family, at school, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your finances, with how you respond to health in your family. You've been given opportunities to leverage and multiply yourself. But what stands in the way is fear. Because we'd rather play ping pong than get on that risky skateboard and go 100 miles an hour. But spiritual growth is completely unsafe because you have to turn yourself inside out. And it's all about taking risk. The encouragement for you today, that fear... Bury that fear in the box that one servant buried it in. Bury that fear in that box. Put that in the ground. Say, I'm going to risk. I'm going to risk. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. Because risk is at the heart of your growth. And without that, get rid of that. Play it safe. Let's not give less than the least. Our growth and our kids' growth is completely unsafe and all about risk. For the glory of the kingdom of God. What one thing do you need to do? What one person do you need to talk to? What one conversation do you need to have? Let's pray together. Our good God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to see your word again. To reflect on the parable of the talents and the story here. And I pray for those this morning who are here and those who are listening later who are just on the cusp, on the verge of breaking out of the fear that has enslaved them for so long, who are just on the verge of being willing to use their abilities and gifts for you in really creative and powerful ways. Some of those are, seem very simple and mundane, such as a conversation with your husband or wife or, or kid or mom or dad or coworker or boss friend at school, just on the verge of taking that next step of their faith, but afraid to because they're not sure of the consequences. It seems a little bit too risky. And yet we know that our growth never happens when we play it safe. I pray this morning that you would give us the courage, Father, to step into the things that we need to step into without delay, without excuse, without concern about what will happen, trusting that you're leading the way. And in that way that you lead, we walk in it 
because you are already there and in front of us. Give us the courage. We pray this in Jesus' name.